Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the show where we talk about how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined, as always, by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, it's been uh, it's been a month. How are you doing? It's been, it's been a while. We went we got through all the holidays. Yeah. We're yeah, alive. Yeah. I had all my family down. I'm alive. Still my there. house is <laughs> still standing. I was going to say it's in one piece or good, or I, I don't want to go that far, but it's still standing. It it's there. The house. It is on the still, lot. So. It's still, it's still what it is. Still together. Good. So, so uh, I was just thinking about this theologian in training. I think we've talked about this before. I, I graduate with my master's at the end of April, so we're a couple months away now. Uh which is kind of scary to think about because I've got a lot mm-hmm, to do before mm-hmm. then. Uh, but I, it makes me wonder: do we need a new term? Well, uh, aren't, aren't we always theologians in at training? At that point, right? At the, we're always theologians in training, but uh, perhaps I should stop. I don't know. Only defining you that way. <laughs> our our <laughs> our uh, our our resident theologian in higher go. training. I mean, is there levels I of training? Start calling you master I don't know if you want. We'll, we'll, we'll I, I'd, I'd be fine with that. Uh, we'll think about it. Maybe our listeners can suggest uh, alternative See, this titles. Is how, this is how uh, I know that you are getting to the point of graduating, uh, is that on, on the docket for some upcoming things, uh, we're going to take some of the material that I've put together for some uh, classes here and stuff. So we're going to use my outlines to do set like a, a long stretch of podcasts and stuff. So you have reached the point now where you can tell me to do the work for your podcast. That's the, that's where we're at now is you can just boss me around. So you're like my grad assistant. Uh, Hey, go do all the work. I'm going to put my name on it Beautiful. and submit for publication. Uh, Oh, but we've we've got a lot of stuff. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff. We were just talking about the podcast catching up because this is really when we talk is like the hour before we actually record the hour long episode. Um, and we were catching up on a bunch of things and talking about this year and stuff upcoming. And I want to say that we already have like, I don't know, 15, 16 episodes worth of things written down, ready to go. So that's pretty good. Um and uh, I think it'll be I think it'll be a good year looking at something. None of it is new heaven, new earth specific. Uh, we kind of every year pick our uh, pick our big subject to to run with, and we've got a different one mm-hmm. this year. So it'll be good. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it'll be nice, and it'll be a nice break for you to have me carry some of the writing load. I think while you uh, write your big long <laughs> paper, <laughs> so you can graduate. Yeah, well, and we'll get to talk about that. So Efficient, uh, efficient, very good. Um, we there's... are continuing on where we, we left off uh, looking at the uh, theological survey. Is that what it was called? State of theology. Uh, the I state I, of I, theology. I think I mess it up every mm-hmm. time. I even have it pulled up, and I just didn't look. Hubris. Uh, state of theology survey. Uh, looking at the question, is church necessary, uh, as in... 
uh, thinking about kind of the the solo building and coming together and all that sort of stuff. So we have a lot of things to look at there, both from the survey and and thoughts and text to to look through. Before we get into all of that, we want to encourage you to go check out thinkingtheologically.org for all of these and previous episodes, uh, as well as uh, some of the various additional things that we have written. Uh, something that you won't see if you don't go to thinkingtheologically.org or if you have not liked us on Facebook uh, there at Thinking Theologically. We post things there. Uh, should be a little more regular. I've had some schedule changes for this year uh, that I... Uh, my schedule's different this year than it was last year, uh, so it should lend itself well to more consistent Tuesdays and uh, Thursday kind of posts. So uh, be on the lookout for those things. And of course, uh, we'd love for you to email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com with any comments, questions, criticisms, episodes, subjects, just anything that you've got, uh, including titles for for Spencer, uh, and feel free to send him all of those on a very long Twitter thread or anywhere else, uh, social media. Make a TikTok Perfect. video yeah, and send it Yeah, if you can put me. it to music. With the little pop-ups, that would just be beautiful. Is that what TikTok is? Is that how that works? Okay. Uh, I Good. mean, it can. <laughs> it it <laughs> I, you you could I'm do something like that. Yes. To the, the kids, um, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure if I would define that's how it it's works, but sure. It, it's oh, it's it's possible. Man. I, I used to anything's possible. I, look at me now. Look at me now. I'm the old guy. I'm morphing very quickly into the old. You're old. Doesn't care. But I do care about answering these questions. I find this one very interesting out of the ones that we've looked at. I believe are humans good the ones the the question we talked about in the last episode about a month ago, which was an interesting question uh, to see where people were were coming from. The one today uh, is church necessary. Spencer, do you want to lay out for us kind of how the survey approached the question? Uh, and then how uh, those things were answered. Yeah, so in the survey, there were two questions that had to do with the way that Christians relate to the church. And kind of like Jack said, it's in the survey and the way we're talking about church is the institutional church. So that's not, you know, we understand the church is on one level, the people, yeah, yeah, I, all believers uh, of all time, right, are a part of the the church, the the global church. Uh, one, oh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, someone in church history talked about the invisible church. Um, there were some problems with that theology, but you have the idea that there's the, this this vast number of, of of Christians, and they all make up the the church, but at the same time, the these Christians also make up and put together and belong to institutions. So you th- can think about different church traditions or different church denominations and all the stuff that may be included within hierarchies and stuff like that. You could think of institutional that way. You could also think of institutional just as individual churches. So you go to the Church of Christ in town, let's say. It's an institution, right? You have a building. Uh, you have probably some kind of leadership structure. 
Um, you probably have some kind of expectations mm-hmm. for people, right? If the elders are shepherding, you know, there's certain expectations that you have for membership. Not that this is a discussion for another day. Maybe, you know, not that you're being kicked out or anything like that. But it's, you know, you have certain expectations and guidelines about what we what you do and how things operate and all those kinds of things. So kind of that institutional level of church is what we're talking about. And there was two questions that kind of related to how Christians relate to this idea of institutional church. Uh, The first statement was this, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. And among U.S. adults, 35% strongly agree, 32% somewhat agree, 9% are not sure, 14% somewhat disagree, and 10% strongly agree. So the interesting thing there is among U.S. adults, the majority, what, 67% think that worshiping by yourself or worshiping with your family is a perfectly fine replacement for regularly attending a church service, like at a church building for example. And then among evangelicals, 28% strongly agree, 28% somewhat agree, 6% are not sure, 21% somewhat disagree, and 17% strongly disagree. The interesting thing that sticks out to me there is you still have the majority, so 56%, if I'm doing my math right, uh, we... uh, Theologians do theology and not math for a reason. Uh, even though, you know, math was, this is way off topic, but math was my best subject in high school, but I didn't have to take it in college because mm-hmm. I did college math in high school. So the last time I did math was my senior year of high school. Yeah, it's a little rusty. Uh, which was uh, quite a while ago. Uh, so, you know, and I don't have to do it on a daily basis. But 56%. Of evangelicals think that worshiping alone or with your family is a valid replacement for church. Uh, So the majority, but only by 6%, right? So uh, they kind of, evangelicals kind of lean in the same direction as U.S. adults in general. But at the same time, it's interesting, they're kind of split on it too. You almost have half and half uh, who are who agree and disagree with that statement, which was interesting to me. Kind of like some of the things that we've looked at, it's like a, it appears maybe people aren't sure. Yeah, you know, the the interesting um, thing for me here is just the way the question's worded. Is it a valid replacement? Uh, you know, the question's like, well, you know, does it does it count? Sure, it counts, but, like, is it the ideal? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting way to look at it of, like, even the people that might agree – may still be thinking like, yeah, you, you can, but the thing that you should do is, and I'd be, I'd be kind of interested in that though. I think the second question maybe uh, pushes on that a little strongly. Yeah. But yeah, that's an interesting thing. Cause we're going to talk about the idea of, you know, can you call it in, like mm-hmm. invalid? Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, probably not. Uh, but, and, and that's my problem. You know, that's the problem with surveys in general. It's like, well, okay. Not only how are we defining valid, but if you want to say, well, it counts, but maybe it's not the, the best, the, yeah. the optimal, uh, it, you know, it's like, well, you would want to, 
I would, you know, if I was talking with someone, I would want to push back against that just a little bit and ask, well, valid for yeah. whom? Right? Because what we're going to get into this. It's like what's valid for one may not be valid for somebody else. I, can you make a blanket statement of what's sure. valid or what's best for everyone? Or um, because, again, the way the question is worded, it's very general. You know, you couldn't say, well, I think there's a better option for most people, but maybe that's this, maybe worshiping alone or with your family is the best option sure. for certain people. Um, but we'll get into that more. Uh, li like you said, the, the second question uh, is worded, I guess we could say a little more yeah. Yeah. strong than the first statement. Uh, the second statement is every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. So that I found like you did with valid in the first and probably with obligation mm -hmm. here. I found that interesting, uh, an interesting choice and a good choice of words. I mean, because it's, uh, is a Christian obligated? In other words, do they have to join a local church among us adults? 18% strongly agree. 19% somewhat agree. 8% are not sure. 19% somewhat disagree and 36% strongly mm -hmm. disagree. So again, you've got the you've got the majority of US adults who disagree yep. with that. Um what 55 37% yeah, agree, so whatever is left over, yeah. Um uh disagree. So again, that's kind of interesting. It's you do have the majority but yeah. not a huge majority that disagree, that would say you don't have an obligation, but most U.S. adults do. Uh, evangelicals, 26% uh, strongly agree, 25% somewhat agree, 5% are not sure, 19% somewhat disagree, and 25% strongly disagree. Again, it's kind of interesting. You, The majority do agree. Most evangelicals would say you have an obligation but it's 51%. So by majority, it's you've got a 1%. Yeah. Uh, uh, which, again, is interesting because it's kind of like the first question. It's pretty divided. right? You've got 51% who agree. You've got 5% that don't know. And then you've got the remainder, mm -hmm. what, 44%, 44, yeah. something like that, that uh, disagree. So... You're still kind of, it seems, not sure what to what to think about how the Christian should relate to the yeah the church institution. Yeah, it's which is very interesting because then then the question comes like, and, and we've seen this with some of the other questions as well, where there's kind of a, a difficulty in uh, the split with even the evangelical group of like, I don't know whether I should agree or disagree with this statement, uh, and just finding. I, I I don't know what the range of like generationally speaking uh, was surveyed. I I assume it's a broad group, um, and mm -hmm. I wonder how that breaks down. If it's like older generations are like, yeah, absolutely, but younger maybe aren't, um, which is going to lead into our next part here. I think uh, because some of the younger Christians or yeah, and when I say younger, I even mean like people in their 30s, the millennial generation, because uh, of 
uh, a number of things. Some of the millennial generation didn't really grow up attending church all that much. So the whole church thing is a new, newer thing for them in their lives, and that has been uh, that has come with a couple of different things here uh, that I think have colored maybe the way that we we view it. Um, maybe let's just jump right into that, uh, unless you've got something else to add there. Uh, yeah, I'm. This is interesting. Among among evangelical respondents. The older generations actually skew a bit more towards yeah. not having an okay. obligation. That's not what I expected at all. Um, and and the younger generations skew a little bit. And by a little sure. bit, I mean a little bit. I mean, we're not talking about huge percentages. And I don't actually know. There's a little bar graph, but you can watch it shift as I change between yeah. age groups. Um, and so you can see a slight shift of more on one side than you have on the other without having time some to of that, the actual statistics. Some of that may be statistics. Uh, um, um, for younger generations in particular, kind of the emphasis on, I don't know how to say it, liturgy, rhythms, uh, some kind of structure is nice, um, weirdly, yes, yeah. Community is important to younger people. Uh, the liturgy is an interesting thing so there's what people call high church sure. and low church so high church has the big liturgies so you yeah, yeah. like a catholic service right you have these uh, uh big organization i guess you could say in the way that worship works and then you have low churches so you think of uh, churches of Christ would fall into that. Your community churches would fall into that, right? We don't really have a set liturgy that we follow. Uh, and every church you walk into, while there might be similarities, yeah. there will also be differences. Um, and so we, there's nothing set. Uh, what's interesting is that the younger generations have, which, uh, you know, you think of like millennials, especially gravitated towards the community type churches so away from the mm -hmm. high church into low church traditions yeah uh, and that's beginning yeah. to flip actually people have realized you know I, I actually find meaning in the organization I mean it's like sometimes we in churches of Christ kind of laugh at the liturgies of other traditions and it's like no they they find me there's meaning. Now, maybe not everybody who practices sure. understands the meaning, but there is meaning behind how it's set up. And people have started to realize that they actually like that deeper meaning to the organizational structure. I know this is not what we're talking about, but I would recommend to our tradition, our fellowship, Churches of Christ, uh, we don't think about the meaning of our structure enough yeah. and we just kind of do whatever yeah. we feel like doing without any questions of why are we doing it like this why is it organized like this what are our goals are we accomplishing those goals it's just kind of all over the place we would do good to think about how we structure our worship um for example i know one thing that we're talking about doing here 
you know, nobody fall uh, <laughs> fall out of your seat. Uh, but uh, you know, we want. I, I'm trying to get us to completely get rid of mm. announcements. But then, how will we know? Like what's happening? Uh, uh, but how will we know? <laughs> and my, uh, I'm like, well, you you read it in the bulletin. I, that's why we print them. Yes. But uh, it's also. Uh, but my argument is, it's like if worship is about God, no. why are we yeah. doing announcements as a part of it? That has nothing to do with. We, that takes God away from center stage. Let's keep God in the center from the point when we go in to the point yeah. when we leave. Um, and not talk about housekeeping. Let's make God the most important. We, we for an hour, an hour and a half, we're going to worship God and we're not going to, we'll deal with the yeah. other stuff, the housekeeping stuff, the unimportant stuff. Yeah. We'll deal with that later. We'll read that in the. So maybe that's maybe that's why the the ages are uh, skewed, kind of the way that they are. Spencer serving is a good uh, millennial example for us, right there. <laughs> I'm almost not a millennial, but I'm there I'm, I'm there. I'm on the tail <laughs> I'm end. close, but not as close as you are. Okay, um, so this these two questions or two statements are very interesting. Uh, in light of, and this is a little bit of what I was saying earlier, in light of uh, more recent things uh, that I'll say previous generations didn't have to deal with. That's not true with one of these as far as uh, illnesses and and such. Um, But the advent of technology uh, and just how Mm -hmm. much it is, we, we are dependent on it. And constantly exploring its its various uses, uh, but then also illnesses that kind of forces us into not having the community uh, in the same sort of way, and made us think about like, I mean, man, I can't tell you how many churches were like, oh man, we got to buy a camera and figure out how to do this Facebook Live thing <laughs> because we can't get together, and they didn't address it, you know, until this situation. Uh, I kind of stepped over where I'd normally say, hey, Spencer, fill us in. But uh, what's led to these questions? We have two thoughts, uh, technology and and COVID. Spencer, what do you want to say about uh, those two things? No, I, I think what you said was really good because we, we've had some things that have happened that have forced uh, churches yeah. to ask this question. Like, how should someone relate to the the, the church as an institution, as a group, as, as someone who meets uh, at a church building because you, you, technology and technological advances. So, you know, every church, especially since COVID, I'll mention COVID in a minute, but w- debates about yeah. live streaming. Should we live stream? Should we not live stream? What should we live stream? And you've got different points of view. Some people are big on, you know, right. reach people through live stream. You've got some that are worried. It's like, well, does live streaming enable people to stop coming to church? Which sometimes that's the case. Yeah. Encouraging a consumerism. I think I would argue that's generally yeah. not the case. Um, uh, I, I, I personally don't think I know anyone that's not coming only because there's a live stream. Like, there's yeah. that's not why they're not coming. There's and that other has reasons been why available in other places. Uh, like and, Life Church has been doing live streaming thing for ever. So if mm-hmm. somebody was looking for 
like I don't want to leave home I want to do this like that avenue has been around for a while just not within churches of Christ as yeah. much yeah 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 it's it's kind of new for for yeah. us yeah. or for a lot of us uh, especially during covid uh, everybody kind of had to figure out how to do that um but that's one thing and that also leaves, you know, we're not going to discuss this, but that leads to the debate of, you know, well, what is the purpose of live stream? Like, why are we, which again, I would encourage churches to do. That's one of the things, I, pretty much every church I've gone to uh, or worked at, when I got there, one of the things was, well, help us with our live stream. It's one of the things I'm pretty good at. And the first question I ask yep. is, well, who is it for? Why are we, do, because that's going to determine how I set it up and what we stream and what it looks like. Who are we doing this for? Are we doing it for members who can't be here because they're sick or they're homebound or they're on vacation or whatever and still want to take part? Or are we doing this for outreach? And you can do them for both, but one has to take priority. Like what's number one? Because we're going to gear it to reach the number one audience and hope that at least in part we can reach the number two. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to make sure we reach the right. audience that's most important to us. Another question that that we don't ask, but or don't ask enough. Enough churches, in my experience, don't ask that question. Uh, we we're not very good at asking why we do things. We just do right. them because everybody else is doing them. Everybody else is live streaming, so let's live stream. But that's also, like I said, that's that's led to debates. Uh, but it's opened up because it's opened up the ability to just virtually take part and not having to actually be there. Uh, I can't remember the name of a, a church, but there's a church that's all virtual. Mm. It's all online community. Weird. Um, now, it's different than just sitting and watching. Like, it's a virtual community, right? You can talk to each other. You can pray with each other. You, you can do all that stuff online, right. but you're not actually going anywhere, which is an interesting debate. It's like, well... If you can do ev pretty much everything that you can in a physical community, a community is virtual. Most churches don't have the ability to right. do it to that extent. But what do we think about that? Is that yeah? Is okay? that is that valid? Is it is it ideal? <laughs> is it <laughs> yeah? Is it acceptable? I mean, uh, so uh, and then like you mentioned, COVID uh, when we had to stop meeting, so much debate about. Uh, whether it's okay to stop meeting? Yep, yep. We did, we did some episodes yeah. on that, talking about uh, overvaluing mm -hmm. the, the the church uh, at the expense of other things and the Bible. I mean, we we talked about you know worshiping the church or worshiping the Bible or yeah. worshiping whatever instead right. of worshiping God. Uh, it's like you know you don't have to meet at the church building to to worship God. So there was some bad theology that hopefully we solved in those episodes. So you can go back. And listen to some of the stuff that we talked about there. But those were the questions that arose mm -hmm. during COVID. I think a lot of them from a bad theology, uh, which hopefully we've helped to fix and will continue to fix in this episode. Uh, but they're yes. valid questions, I think. Our handling of them sometimes points to bad theology that was always there. We just yeah. didn't know it. Yeah. Um, and I, you, you can't underestimate the, and this will actually tie into the very last thing that we talk about on the, the podcast, but uh, you cannot underestimate the impact that uh, things that happen personally or culturally uh, have, like the effect that those have on individuals, uh, 
in a different podcast for teens or whatever uh, about anxiety. Uh, one of the things that we discussed was, uh, you know, a generation growing up with uh, 9-11 and NSA uh, coming into what it is, like we're so used to it now, but all of that stuff being new and kind of terrorism always being at the forefront of our our mind and then COVID and all of this stuff later on, uh, that you have a generation that's kind of been shaped by we have to be anxious about things because bad stuff could be coming around every corner uh, sort of deal. Uh, and things like here's technology and what it's used for and we use it all the time and can we use it in these ways and all that. And then what if we can't meet? You know, we, we need to be prepared for that and all that yeah. kind of shapes a lot of the way maybe that we function in one of two directions. Uh, I don't need to meet because I can just do it this way or I need to yeah. because – man, when we lose that, it was awful. And so I really want to have the these traditions and things that have a lot of meaning with them and, and all that. So Right. You know, we'll t uh, I'll try to remember, maybe between the two of us, we can at the end. But what you just mentioned about generations is also think about people, um, you know, our, yeah. our age, right? Um, who... You mentioned some of the stuff that we grow up seeing, abuses of power. Yeah. We've seen a lot of our generation, especially in churches, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And so you start thinking about the church as an institution, which is just a fancy way of saying that contains right. a power structure. Structure is important, I think. I, you Things quickly fall right. apart without any structure. But a lot of people fear that because they've seen how it can be abused. Yes. Yeah. And I don't blame them for being scared yeah. of it. Uh, it's uh, this is something that I think of a, a lot that scares me uh, as a minister who has a certain level of power and authority within the church that I'm at is constantly checking myself and to make sure I'm not abusing my authority right. because it's easy to do. And people get hurt in the process when we start ser serving something other than people. Uh, mm -hmm. We find ourselves abusing our authority. Uh, and again, sometimes with very good intentions, we just respond in ways that we yeah. shouldn't. And... Uh, that's something that not only we need to look out for, but we need to understand that other people are anxious about. Leaders, like I said myself, I'm anxious about the way that I use it because I've seen no, no church leader who has abused their position I, did it intentionally, I don't think. They weren't doing it from right. day one. It kind of happened right. over time. And a lot of them, you know, started out good hearts, but, you know, maybe it's like, how did we yeah, get here? That's a good point. There's been ton loads, and there still are, but loads of discussions about structures and uh, power and who's at, what power is at play and who's using it for what reasons and all that. And that's very much going to shape the way that we, we look at things. Uh, speaking of structure. I'll, yeah. I'll put a footnote. I'll put a footnote there. Uh, everyone's going to have to in three and a half years <laughs> uh, uh, read my... Uh, 
a PhD dissertation, which is on slavery, the historical Jesus and the gospels, which is all about uh, the use and abuse of power structures. So sweet. Uh, okay. He's on it. There you go. Speaking of those uh, structures, footnote, <laughs> footnote the, way that. the, uh, uh, the structure of the early church, um, while I think, I think most people are aware that it is different than ours in some ways, maybe we don't think about it as much or give it as much, uh, I'm not sure if credence is the right word, but looking at it and understanding like, okay, things were different and we need to uh, answer maybe our whys now in light of uh, in, in light of the mm. way that they did things there. You know, what were they accomplishing? What was their structure like? And how do we apply that to now? Uh, so how did the early church meet? Uh, what kind of things made up their their structure? What did what did that kind of weekly or, or day-to-day look like uh, for them, Spencer? Well, like you said, I think a lot of us understand that the first century church met in homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, we'll call them house churches. House churches were the norm in the first century. Uh, but this second thing, I, I don't think... At least in my experience, a lot of people don't know this. They, they know that they met in houses, but that a particular they don't know that in a particular city, especially if the city was large and had many Christians, you would have had multiple house churches, that it wasn't just one house church in a city. It was likely multiple house churches in the city. And that was necessary for two reasons. First, the number of Christians in some cities would not be supported in one household. You couldn't fit everyone Mm -hmm. in one house. And because it's important to remember that in the first century, when the head of a household converted to Christianity, generally, we're talking about the man uh, in the house, it generally meant that the entire household, so the wives, the children, the slaves, all converted as well. Everyone was Christian to some extent. We could dive into that more, but... Um, everyone participated in this thing called Christianity when the head of the household would convert. So if you had someone who was wealthy, which the early church had some wealth, but it was generally a kind of grassroots movement early on. And over time, it developed into a movement of people with means, which kind of culminates. We were talking, Jack and I were talking about this before, in Constantine, the Roman emperor who made Christianity the uh, religion of the nation. Uh, but it, it was originally a grassroots movement, so you didn't have a ton of people with money. Uh, but you had some, and those were probably the houses that they were meeting in, right? The people that had uh, Theophilus, who Luke writes to, was probably the patron who financed the writing mm-hmm. of uh, Luke Acts because that was an expensive thing to do. So you had some people of means, uh, but probably not a ton. But, you know, if you had a mid-sized family or one of these larger families and the head of the household converts and now everyone's participating, that could have been a yeah. lot of people. So potentially you could have had one house church that was just the people of that house. Maybe they're the only Christians in the town or maybe they're wealthy and just have such a huge possible. Again, I'm speculating because there's no way to prove any of that. But knowing the dynamics of Greco-Roman society in the first century, some of that stuff probably happened. Um. But also, uh, large groups of people meeting in secret would have arisen suspicion by the Romans. So, Christians, 
did elicit suspension, uh, suspicion, even in small groups meeting in secret. Um, you know, they thought that uh, Christians were cannibals because they talked about eating flesh and drinking blood, and they thought they adopted young children who were left out because parents didn't want them, so people thought that they were having child sacrifice, all kinds of things like that. Um, but that just gets worse the more people you would have doing it, right? Um the more people you had meeting in secret, the more likely it was for people to start yeah. asking questions, particularly those in power, the Romans, thinking, you know, maybe they're planning a coup. They're going to overthrow. They're trying to overthrow Rome. Maybe they're breaking the law. They are doing child sacrifice or eating people or something like that. So you couldn't meet in huge groups. You had to keep them relatively small to stay alive, in essence. And so that's why you would have had multiple house churches in one city. So, for example, uh, when Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome or the church in Ephesus or the church in Philippi, he was probably not writing to one group of people who met in one home, but to all the Christians in the city who met in different homes with the expectation that the letter would be shared among all the churches in the city. Uh, that's interesting first because Paul considers the church in Rome to be all the Christians in the city of Rome, not just one house church, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting to think about. But he's he is writing to the city of Philippi and wanting this to be spread around amongst all the the house churches there. And so I think when we understand this, that it demonstrates... At the very least, that meeting in different homes is by no means wrong. Right? If it was okay for the Christians in the early church to all meet in different homes in the same city, it would be perfectly okay for us to do that now. I mean, we already do that in church buildings. Yeah. So, so what's the difference between doing it in a home? We already all don't meet together for some of the same reasons. You know, a big city, there's too many people, right? It, there's Where are you going to meet? Unless you rent out the uh, NFL stadium every week, like where are you gonna mm-hmm. where are you gonna fit all these people? Um, there's just uh, things like that that we have to to think about, um, and so I think we have to say at least that meeting with one's family, for example, or meeting by oneself is not an invalid replacement, and that a Christian's I don't think have an obligation to join a local church. Again, that's trying to make this black and white. You know, people saying, is it wrong? It's not wrong to meet by yourself with your family. It's not wrong to not, you know, officially join a local church. That's also the interesting thing of, you know, placing membership that we do now. It's a relatively new thing. Like, we invented that. Uh, Yeah. You know, Cornelius didn't place membership when Peter went over to... That's not the way that it worked. Like, that's a relatively new thing. And so, you know, maybe you could say it's a good idea, but not that you have to. I want to give just a really quick example, real quick. I know I've talked to people, young people, who who have this mindset of, you know, hey, we want to be involved in a local congregation. But we don't like this whole thing of placing membership. We just want to be the church. And it's like, I get that. I think there are some benefits that come with 
placing membership, right? It makes it easier for elders and ministers to uh, care for the flock when they know who's a part of the flock. Right. Some stuff like that. Uh, but it's, you know, by no means impossible to do that if you don't have someone on an official role or something like that. It, elders and ministers should be caring about them even if they're yeah. just visiting. So um, maybe there's some things that, that should be helpful, but it's like, I get that. But then I know some who have that mindset that were forced by elders to become members. And it's like, okay, that's where I draw the line. You know, maybe if you want to encourage and then leave it at that and leave it as at their choice if they want to officially do this man-made thing that we created in placing membership, that's fine. But to force as if it's wrong not to. That's how yeah. you chase people away from the church and not keep them in the church in the first place. Uh, it's also bad theology, <laughs> as I hoped we've pointed out. However, I do want to point this out. We, I think, have to recognize that Christians in these cities did communicate and work together. At least that yeah. was the expectation. I think when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and he's addressing this dispute between Yodi and Syntyche, I think these were both women of means, and the church met in their respective houses— and that's why their disagreement was such a big thing, because the Christians meeting in their houses began to follow the owner of the house, and now the church in the city is divided, which is not what Paul wanted in Philippi. It's like you might meet in different house churches, but you need to work together. You need to be unified. We're all Christians. There's something we could all, especially in Churches of Christ, probably learn from Philippians. Uh, <laughs> but that's a podcast for another day. Uh but I think this must be kept in mind when we're considering how to interact with, Christ, with the Christian community in our contemporary world, right? So I, we can't say that it's wrong, but at the same time, I think we have to understand that the intention is for us to be working yeah. together, no matter where we meet. If we meet by ourselves, if we meet in our homes, if we meet in a church building, whatever church building we meet in, that the idea is that we're able to come together and work together, all the Christians in a specific, in a particular location, the goal is to be able to work together. Now, how we do that is probably a conversation for a different time, but we balance those two yeah. things out. And I think there, that's so there's a lot of value to this discussion as well, because before we said technology, COVID, things like that, warranting the discussion, um, it, we've had we had discussion in this discussion in like previous generations most of what i remember like growing up in why this discussion was like hey let's discuss church attendance all that stuff and whatever uh going to hebrews and all that stuff um but the reason why <laughs> it's because it's because well, the budget was low that, but also like <laughs> i'm sorry i don't mean to be that cynical but i mean that's what i saw growing Those up are your we power need more giving so let's encourage people to come to church stuff. and that's horrible um, <laughs> that's um terrible. No, but most of the time uh, the discussion came theology. up as a result of like well, if i have weekend plans and i'm out you know up in the mountains or something like that you know, do I really need to try to find some place or is it cool if I'm and then you get the where two or three are gathered in my name pulled out of its context as a yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can do whatever I want at the top of a mountain. Bad theology. <laughs> and that's typically where this came from. A lot of what we've said here uh, is a lot more motivated by like, 
hey, I have some concerns about this, that, or the other thing, but I'm wanting to be involved. Can I be involved while still uh, being a, a part of more like a, I'm, I'm at home, but I'm still working with this group. You know, I'm not isolating or I'm not trying to find ways to get out of meeting with a church group, but there are some maybe things that are, are hindering my ability to do that, but I'm still wanting to be you know, like Christ or serve or all that sort of stuff. I think the uh, I think the conversation now is a lot more. Uh, I'm wanting to be what the Bible, what what God wants me to be, what God's created me to be. Does is this a, a have to part of it, or is there a, a kind of workaround mm-hmm. to it? It's a much better conversation than like I have weekend plans. <laughs> <laughs> so while I'm up here, can't I just do it this way? Does it even matter? Uh, those two questions are not exactly the same, <laughs> which I appreciate. So I think we need to acknowledge that people are coming from, I think, a much better place now with this question uh, than maybe in, in the past. The uh, I, I uh, Two things real quick. Uh, first, being a Christian is being a Christ follower, not being a member of a sure. institutional church. Um, but second... Uh, not as serious, but I've always wondered, you know, the two or three are gathered passage. Uh, well, if God's there or, or Jesus is there, whatever you want to say, same yeah. thing. We've talked about that before. Uh, if God's there when two or three are gathered, uh, does that mean that he's not there when I'm by myself? <laughs> like what, what he just disappear? Does he just disappear? Like, how does that it's another the, the it's another spirit podcast. leaves? Like what, 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 <laughs> that, that yeah, doesn't yeah, make yeah. any sense. Oh, uh, uh, um, yeah, I'm not, anyways, I'm not that's, doing the Christ following while I'm doing this other stuff. But whenever I get to this moment on Sunday, is it cool? If, <laughs> yeah. Christ shows, finally shows up. I've been looking the for overall all week point and finally here showed up being on uh, Sunday. with what you just said, that there is this emphasis on interacting within Christian community, serving Christ and all of this stuff, not, not looking for isolation. I don't think that question's being asked about isolation much anymore, like maybe it was in the past. It's less about a convenience and isolating thing and more about a, is this the only way to be involved within the community? Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to highlight some things about uh, institutional. Uh, what does a church congregation supply? You know, if you were to meet uh, at a building and with that group of people regularly, quote-unquote, place membership, though I don't like that language either, um, but we understand what we're saying by all of that. Are, are there benefits to those things? Uh, Spencer, mm-hmm. where do you want to start with, with that? Yeah, I think that the, uh, there are a couple things that just immediately came to my mind when I was thinking about things that you typically gain from being a member of a church that you don't gain otherwise. And I want to say, first off, that that's not necessarily always the case. Like you, I may say something and you say, well, yeah, but I've got this small little community that meets right. at a coffee shop every week or whatever, and we have that. Okay. I mean, you, I'm not saying that that's true right. across the board. Uh, and I'm not saying that every institutionalized church has all these things or does all these things well. I'm simply saying that generally, I think these are some things that you can find at a church uh, that maybe you can't get yeah. otherwise. Uh, the first thing uh, that I wrote down is elder oversight. 
I, I think as much as we don't like authority because authority's been abused and I've seen it, mm-hmm. I've experienced it, I get it. Um, but when elders are doing what elders are supposed to be doing and caring about the shepherding the spiritual needs of a congregation, I think it is helpful to say, you know, I've got somebody that is watching out for my spiritual life. I'm not doing this on my own. Right, right. Right? Like it's good to visit the doctor every once in a while and have somebody else overseeing your physical health. I think it can be helpful to have someone helping to oversee your spiritual health. Um, and again, you know, it's we're not talking about black and white. Is it necessary? No. Is it helpful? Yes. It's like, you know, is taking a multivitamin necessary? No. Is it helpful? Right. Probably. Uh, you know, it, it, that that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Uh, the second thing that I put is uh, differing perspectives. First off, I want to mention we need to cultivate disagreement more in our churches. We need to be able to disagree. We need to be able to have multiple perspectives, which a lot of churches don't like. Mm-hmm. Historically, in Churches of Christ, we haven't liked people uh, veering too far off of the traditional Church sure. of Christ creed uh, and doing anything much different. Uh, we need to cultivate that. And when you're in a larger group, you're going to have differing perspectives. Uh, you're going to have old and you're going to have middle age and you're going to have young, which all bring a different perspective to the question. You're going to have men and women who bring different perspectives to things. You're going to have people who have had different kinds of experiences and so we're going to bring different perspectives to the questions. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, when we're trying to together as a community discern the will of God, which is what I think the job of our church communities are, is to discern the meaning of Scripture, uh, to ultimately discern the will of God in the moments and the situations that we find ourselves in. And in order to do that, I think it's important to have differing perspectives. I think that helps us to reach a more holistic understanding of what God wants us to do and not reach an understanding that is limited by our individual limitations because of our age or because of our race or because of our gender or because of our experiences. All of that limits us. We're not able to see the full picture. But together in community, in conversation, we're e- it's easier for us to begin pursuing the big picture of what God is doing, what God will do, and what God wants us to do. So I think that's important. Uh, there's an interesting debate And I'm just going to kind of leave this. I don't want to solve this issue. But you have the question about uh, financial Mm -hmm. ability, uh, how larger churches have the financial ability to do things that smaller churches or smaller groups can't do. Is that an okay thing? Uh, People debate considering, you know, the cost of maintaining a church building or of paying ministers, which a bigger church has a lot more cost there. Is that a good way to spend God's money? Because that also leads for them to be able to do bigger things in the community to help people that couldn't be done necessarily or couldn't always be done by a smaller group or a smaller system or by an individual. And so that's a dynamic that I think is, and that might be a discussion for another podcast, but that's a dynamic that we need to be thinking about is how does that because there's positive and negatives to both. Small group, yes, you get to use everything to go out and help people, but you're limited. Bigger group, you have some of these other expenses that come with it, but at the same time, you're now able to do things that are 
hopefully bigger and impact more people. And so how do we you balance might, uh, that out? Real quick, you might see uh, that in principle in Second Corinthians 8 and 9 with a more well-off, again, yes, home churches, all that stuff, but a more well-off group being able to better supply the need for somebody else who's uh, in a lot of trouble, yeah. you know, and to their credit, there's another set of churches that isn't as well off that steps up to the plate anyway. But so I, in this regard, I think about Memorial yeah. road yeah. there huge. in Edmond, uh, who huge. One of the things that they have is they have a Bible class program for children mm. with disabilities. I don't know any other church that has the means to do right. that. That's yeah. an amazing thing, but I don't think any church other than Memorial Road could pull that yeah, off. Yeah, that's like layers It's like layers deep, right? Uh, maybe another congregation would be like, that's a great thing, but there's like 20 other things before we can even think about doing something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so I know people that go there just because of that. It's be, because that's where they get the best... A church experience and education mm-hmm. for their children yeah. with disabilities. Um, and that's amazing. And that's where they should be for the sake of their kids. I mean, that's great. But I know I haven't ever been at a right. church that would be able yeah, to do me that. Either. Um, so that's something, something to Speaking consider. Speaking of education. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, yeah, the fourth thing that I have on here is education. Theological and biblical ed- education. I think that's so important for churches to have people that are educated on theology and on uh, the Bible, uh, biblical studies, and on history uh, that impacts our interpretation of Scripture. And I think that's so important that we have people, generally ministers, who have that kind of education that they can bring to the congregation— uh, because a lot of the times it's the only way they're going to yeah. get it, right? Uh, the average congregation member doesn't always have access to that kind of material. And they also don't have time. Like, you work and you have a family. Uh, where are you going to find time to read the latest uh, edition of the scholarly journal New Testament Studies? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> no. Um that's something that ministers can can bring that a lot of the times you, you can't find um, elsewhere. I, I think that's one of the benefits of having paid ministers is to be able to do that study and to bring that education to bear on. So, you know, you go into a class and we're all discussing it, right? Going back to that differing perspectives, a minister that has that education is able to bring that educational perspective, which right. isn't the only perspective. But it's a perspective that I think is important to bring to the table, which ought to, I think, push back against some of our tendencies to dislike that kind of education. Uh, I think when we push that away from the table as churches, we're missing a huge piece of our discernment of the text. But it works the other way. I think scholarship needs to do a better job of being accessible for the churches because I think that's important. But again... That's a dynamic that you can't always get um, outside of a, a church where you have someone that has that kind of education that can bring that perspective yeah, to the table. Yeah, for, for and to there, um, the education and the differing perspectives kind of check and balance each other a little bit because somebody's personal experience is valuable, but that can also just take the text in places where it should not go. Mm, uh, and somebody yeah. having an education 
behind that going, nah, that's not really what Paul has in mind whatsoever. <laughs> you know, maybe that's okay, but don't go, you know, too far out of bounds. The other side of that is somebody who has the education might say, you know, uh, you know, excuse me, who who has the degree here and who doesn't? Okay, th- then you get into that abuse of the the structure situation. And mm-hmm. so having other people go, mm-hmm. look, I don't have this kind of education, but like the stuff you're saying doesn't mean anything to me on my day to day, you know, rein it in, you know, help me understand and all that sort of stuff. Uh, is there's a, a good humility on both sides of that if it's it's done well. And you can end up in a situation where you have only one of those things. And small groups are not a bad thing necessarily, but how many times have you and I heard of stories of small groups just going wildly off the rails uh, because they didn't have the proper checks and balances in place? Uh, and one of those things won out you know, too hard because they didn't have the right kind of community set up. You know, maybe there's there's more discussion for that too. But uh, having all of these pieces is we've got another we've uh, come up with another twenty episodes <laughs> just in this episode. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, real quick, I'll I'll kind of finish up the thoughts that at least I have on what a church yeah. congregation supplies. Last thing I put is uh, community. Uh, When you're in a large community, there's wonderful things that you can get. So you have a multitude Mm -hmm. of gifts, uh, spiritual gifts that got that are you're able to work together to do things uh, that you couldn't otherwise. It's the idea that uh, the 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 I don't remember exactly how the saying goes, but, you know, the it's bigger than the sum of its parts, that the whole Mm -hmm. is bigger than the sum of the parts. Um, you know, you individually, you wouldn't be able to do this, but when you come together, you rise to a level that is greater than just adding up all of your abilities. Um, so you get that within a community, those gifts being able to use, you get community discernment that goes back to the differing perspectives and the education that we've talked about. You, when you discern meaning and direction in a community, you bringing together those perspectives and gifts in the process of discernment. Uh, you only get that within a community. A community, you have people that can uplift you, uh, that can walk alongside of you as we deal with the real difficulties that we face in life uh, and trying to be faithful and trying to find direction and trying to find God in the midst of those problems. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes mm-hmm. challenge us. You know, sometimes it's good to be said, hey, you need to stop doing that. Yeah. Sometimes that's a good thing. And if you're around people where you have the kind of relationship, not only where both of you are comfortable with that, but where you're sharing life so other people can discern when those moments are necessary, uh, those are things that you get in community. Again, it's not that you can't get those in a small community, but some of those things uh, are greater within a Mm -hmm. bigger community. At the same time, this is a debate for another time, Uh, it's at least possible especially if not done correctly, that communities can get so big that these stop being, the more people stop yeah. being a blessing and yeah. a help. Uh, so that I, I tend to think that maybe more with how we set things up, so the actual organization rather than yeah, yeah. the people, but that's a, that, that, that's a debate for another day. So what I would say is uh, while I would not want to go as far as saying that you have to be a part of a local congregation 
or that it's sinful not to. We've talked about that. It's we don't want to go that far. Uh, I do believe that local a local congregation provides important aspects to the Christian walk that a lot of the times can't be found elsewhere. So again, like the vitamin thing, is it necessary? No. Is it helpful? Probably. Uh, that there are things that a Christian community provides. Um. Yeah. That you can't get anywhere else. And so I do think that Christian community, and I want to say community, not church, and I do that intentionally. I think a Christian community is vital for a healthy spiritual life, but a Christian community can be found in a lot of different places and it can look a lot of different ways. And I think we have to come to grips with that reality. I don't know what churches are going to look like in the next mm, 50 years, mm, but they could yeah. look a lot different than they ever have in uh, our history, yeah. at least here in the United States. And to deal with that, we have to understand that Christian community is vital. It's helpful. It provides important things, but it doesn't just look one way. Christian community does not just look like institutionalized church building. It may look like five people gathering at the local Starbucks every Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's still Christian community. And it can still provide everything that I mentioned. It may look different. Uh, but the community can still provide. Maybe that looks like virtual church. I don't know. Like I said, that's a debate for another time. But maybe that's what um, it looks like. I, one of the the things as far as we... Uh, one of the things we need to think about as far as the what it may look like part of the discussion is the, and we've said it a number of times throughout this episode, the why. Uh, why is the thing being structured the way that it is? You know, what? why do you want to, well, I don't want to go there and be a part of it in that way, but I can be a part of it in this way. Um, why? And that's a, that's a question that needs to be uh, asked and uh, answered to the best of our ability. Uh, so we wanted to close this out, and there's some things coming into my head here. And I, we're we're long on this episode, I think, but uh, there's some things coming in to my head here that I think we'll we'll add kind of as we go through. But we wanted to mention some good reasons not to join a local congregation and not to pressure people to join. Uh, just a few thoughts on this that we have written down, and then maybe a little bit to to add here. But Spencer, yeah. go ahead. Uh, real quick, what you mentioned about, we've talked about the why, um, and that's so important. I know Christian communities that meet in coffee shops that are much more Christian communities than a lot of churches that I know. Um, just because you meet in a church building with a name out front does not mean you're living up to the your designated term as a Christian community. Um, And anyways, I'll (laughs) leave that before I say something that I regret. Uh, Anyways, uh, like you said, good reasons. You probably never heard this in a a Christian podcast by two ministers, reasons not to join a local congregation uh, and not to pressure people to join. There Mm -hmm. are reasons not to do these things. Uh, The first thing that I mentioned is trauma. Uh, There are people who have experienced trauma that is connected to a church and that prevents them from attending a church for good reason. Because there's this thing called re-traumatization. That is, you've experienced a trauma 
and then you experience something else that takes you back to that traumatic moment or moments and you're traumatized over again. It's like it happens again. And for some people, what they have faced in church was so bad that they're never, they will never be able to step into a church again without being re-traumatized. And if, if we believe that God cares and loves people and doesn't want to hurt them, then that means that if coming in a church building is going to re-traumatize them, that God would say, well, then don't walk into the church building. For some people, it may be a temporary thing, right? Something may happen, and it may take them some time to get back. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they eventually come back. Uh, For some, they never will. And that's because people are different, trauma is different. And it's first off, it's not for us to decide whether or not someone is able. That that bugs me so much. Um, We have this habit of taking ourselves and putting ourselves on others and other people become a mirror of us. And we say, well, I would be able to, why can't they? Or I did, why can't they? Well, the reason is because they're not you. We don't just do that with trauma. We do that with things like poverty and getting a job or whatever it may be. We... We put we place ourselves on other people and interpret them as if they're right. us, and that's not the way that it works. We don't have the right to do that. And we have to respect and even organize our churches in a way that prevent the idea of re-traumatizing someone. That's a real thing. And so maybe for someone that has church trauma, their community looks like by themselves. It looks like their family. It looks like a small house church. It looks like the coffee shop because of trauma. But that is where they get to encounter the community of God's people and get to encounter Jesus within his people. And we can't discount that. That goes back to the importance of community. There's there's things that happen within a community. I didn't mention this, but I think that there's something special about the worship of the church. I think God's present everywhere, but I think we see more of that overlap of heaven and earth when the church comes together to worship, and particularly when the church comes together to partake of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. We're going to talk about the Lord's yeah. Supper in coming episodes. But I think there's something special that happens there, right? And so to say that it's not the same if you're not in a church building is to tell someone who has experienced trauma that, yeah, you can be at your home with some people or maybe even by yourself and take communion because you can't do everything else, but you're not going to actually get to experience Jesus. Um, I hope that comes off as not over, not only a horrible thing to say, but a wrong thing to say uh, to someone right. who cannot, because of how they were treated in a church, go back into a church to say, well, you can't experience Jesus in this. No, you can. You can. And we have to realize that and we have to respect that. Again, it's not to devalue the church community. It's to say the church community can look a million different ways. Again, we should have added that before, but there's something yeah. special about how we experience God when the church comes together. But that's when any Christians come together for the purpose of worshiping or partaking of the Lord's Supper or serving or whatever. That There's something special that happens there. Um, the, the before, second before you go is, to the, the second da- one here, just because yeah. I think it fits in with this quite well. You know, if you are, uh, if if you believe, right, there's something special that occurs when kind of we have this togetherness, and there's an individual who, because of trauma, is alone. 
uh, and would prefer to stay that way, you know, and live stream and try to serve in the ways that they can, where they are, uh, and in their interactions. But, you know, you really believe, you know, they're missing out on on something here and all this. And I'm not saying that they, they aren't, uh, but you strongly believe that. It might be a better approach to instead of saying, you know, you're not experiencing Jesus or this this isn't what God intends or maybe more effective to be like, hey, as as a Christian myself or maybe me and somebody else, if they're okay with this, you know, if you spend time visiting them uh, or maybe having them into your home where they might be comfortable, that sort of thing of just giving them a positive church group example I'm thinking about somebody isolated right now, but a positive church group example where Christians are coming together, and that may open the door a little more to the possibility of, okay, this feels maybe a little safer um, to to go from one to the other. And that, that's a that's a much more <laughs> that's a much more difficult and time consuming approach for the people wanting to get them to the building, but far more proper, I, I think. And. And that might be as this little small group of you yeah. getting together with them, maybe as far as it is ever able yeah. to go. Uh, but it's again, I, I would say it's it's not that they're not experiencing right. or something like that. But you know, that's first off, you know, it's it's better than yeah. nothing. Yeah. If you think it's important to be with church people, be with church people, no matter how how small the group. But I like what you said, you know, you know, maybe it's you reaching out to them and finding some way for them to be around other Christians that fits them, whatever that may look like. Yeah. Uh, but taking the initiative to do it on their terms, not on yours. And I think that's another point. We want people to do things yeah. on our terms instead of letting them do them on theirs. They're the one in this case, they're the one right. with the trauma, not us. Right. Do things on their terms, not on your own terms. Um, second thing I put down here is, is doubt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe you're wondering about all these Christian, like you're really struggling with this God Christianity thing. And maybe you've been a Christian. Maybe you're thinking about becoming a Christian, whatever. Uh, maybe the way that you deal with that is... Uh, taking a step back from the uh, like a physical community, yeah. for example, y you know, you think about uh, sometimes it's good for ministers, for example, when they're burnt out, or I know ministers that have faced doubt, or so, and sometimes I, they just need to step away. It's not that they stop worshiping or stop doing anything, but sometimes it's stepping away from the physical presence yeah. and let me find a way to be with God. In different ways, maybe that's a virtual thing, online thing for a period of time, or something like that. And that's sometimes what people need to work through, yeah. whatever they're dealing with. And when we push them to do church like we think they ought to be doing church, then we most of the time end up pushing them away to where they never find their way back. Yeah, yeah. Rather than allowing them to deal with whatever it is they're going through, again, on their terms and finding their way back. Because a lot of the times in this category of people, it's not that they want to leave. Sometimes the way that they're treated when they're going through that, leaving is the sure. only choice left to them. 
I don't know how many times I've heard people say that. It's, I didn't want to leave, but I was forced to. For one reason or another. Uh, Let's not be people that do that. I mean, that... I feel like that's obvious, but at the same time, I wonder sometimes. Um, Nothing to add there. Yeah, nothing to add. The last thing... (laughs) Okay, the last thing I have uh, is personality. So the example I put here is someone with, like, severe social anxiety who can't be around a lot of people. Like, they just can't. And... For people that don't have that, you know, if you're listening and you're an extrovert, you can't relate to that right. at all. Uh, doesn't mean it's not a thing. And it doesn't mean that uh, we don't need to care about the way that people deal uh, with something like severe social anxiety. Uh, I've seen people uh, who have severe social anxiety who f- now feel more. They, they they either finally feel like they're able to be a part of a church because they were never before because of the number of people, or they now feel like they are able to more fully and more comfortably be a part of the church because of some of the online options hmm. that churches offer. Uh, they now will say that they feel like they get to experience God more because they can take the anxiety out of it. Because think about this. If you experience, if there's a special experience of God when the church gathers together, but you're so anxious being around other people that you don't get to experience God, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. If that's the point, and they're missing out on the point because of their anxiety, I would say, well, what's the point? And maybe that, again, maybe that looks like you and a couple of other people meeting with them on a regular basis, because that's a comfortable number, but more than that uh, would cause issue. Um, and at the other times, they're able you know, to tune in online by themselves or whatever uh, it may be that prevents that social anxiety but they feel like they they're still connected um you know it it's uh god's present everywhere i hope we believe that it's not that we have to send him through the internet signals to other people uh he he's there i i promise you he's there uh and he can do things uh even through you know the internet signals i i promise you that that's it's possible um and for some people, that, that that's what they need. And like I said, I, I've heard really touching stories about people experiencing things in a better way than they ever had before because they're able to find – again, because a lot of the times the people that struggle with these things want to be a part of the church community. It's just that the traditional way of doing it actually is more hurtful than yeah. helpful. And some of these new things that have come about because of technology allow them to be a part of a community that, in a healthy way for them that they never had before. And that's what we should want for people, to experience God and the church community and to follow Jesus. And sometimes for some people and in some situations, it looks different than the way you might be comfortable. To, uh, to that point, the thing that I was thinking about as we were talking about these things before the the episode. Uh, We 
I think traditionally, at least churches I've been a part of, have done a very good job of being mindful of their of the people that are shut in, you know, they just, they, they can't drive or they can't get out even if they wanted to and all that sort of stuff. And there's been all sorts of solutions for them. I know people who go and pick others up, they can't drive, but they want to be here. So they, Mm. they go and get them and and bring them. Uh, Others are like, Hey, they can't be here uh, maybe for a time. So we go over to them and we, we spend some time in worship with them in their home because that's, because they want that togetherness uh, in that way. And there are other situations where things like live stream and all that stuff are, you know, I've seen the Facebook comments of, you know, I'm sick today or really love that I can see everyone there, even though I can't physically be there, you know, seeing my old friends and all this stuff who I get visits from, but I'm actually able to see you on this time of worship, you know, means a lot, that sort of thing. And we've done a good job, I think, traditionally of thinking about those that have physical ailments uh, and meeting them where they are because they, they just they can't leave. Uh, we have to be careful not to disregard those mental and emotional ailments that may lead to the same sort of, I just can't leave. I can't, I can't go. I can't, I can't be there. Um, we've got to be careful to address those in similar ways instead of addressing it with, well, you need to stop being so afraid or, well, you just need to stop if that's where they're at right now, uh, let's try to meet them where they are uh, in that way. We do it with people that have physical ailments. we got to make sure we're being consistent across the board uh, with all ailments uh, and difficulties that, that people are facing. Uh, and ultimately, and I think Spencer said this, that this will lead to that outcome of being more helpful uh, instead of being more harmful as the church. I'd rather somebody tune in if they don't feel like they can leave, then feel like uh, they can't tune in because it means nothing unless they can show up. You know, they can't experience Jesus whatsoever. So they're just not going to have anything to do with him. You know, give give me one over the other uh, where they're connected, uh, even if they can't be here. And I'd love for people to be at the local congregation. Uh, I love seeing people face to face and, and all of that sort of interaction. And I think there's a lot of value in that scientifically, which we didn't really discuss, but there's something about face to face, uh, that's very helpful, but some people just can't, just can't do that. Um, and shouldn't be, shouldn't be, uh, destroyed as a result of that, but, uh, met where they are, uh, and reached so that they can be a light in the places, uh, where they go. Anything to add as we, uh, we close? That's it. I think I've I think said I too did much, too. So, I'm so <laughs> we're back. <stop> there. <laughs> we're back with the long episode with lots of ideas for where we're going here throughout the rest of this year, and uh, we hope you join us along for uh, yeah if, for all those episodes. Should be really fun. If you missed if you missed us over the past month, we, we made up we for it in the length of this. <laughs> Can't one. wait for the next one. Uh, hope you feel the same way. Be sure to check out thinkingtheologically.org for these episodes and uh, additional. Uh, written sort of content and uh, we'll see you for the next episode.